Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. Grab your Bibles or devices, however you're gonna read God's Word today, and open them up uh, to John chapter 17. We're continuing our journey through the book of John, and we are getting there. Uh, I don't know if you have family members in your household who like to talk more than they like to do things. Anybody have family members like that? And so uh, the task before you is to clean the garage, right? And then at some point it arises because one of you is a doer, and you're type A, you gotta get this done, and the other one of you just, just likes being together. So you're gonna make this take as long as it can uh, to enjoy it together, and some of us are more efficient, so we just wanna get in there and get it done, and some of us have, we make this statement, are we just gonna talk about the garage, or are we actually gonna clean it? Anybody have conversations like that in your home? Yeah. Are we just gonna dream about this, or are we actually going to execute on what we've been dreaming about? Uh, maybe you feel that way with Jesus so far, coming through the book of John. John, uh, we were flying through the first three, three years and five months of Jesus' ministry on earth. And then it's like, John's like, hey, well, let's just stop for a while. Let's just stop and talk about, uh, I don't know, 11 hours of his life for 19 chapters. Let's just do that. So we've hit this point where uh, the talking is happening. We're getting every detail from John, but it's winding down into what's going to be the climax of the book of John which is the climax of all creation based on uh, the author of Hebrews tells us at the pinnacle of creation, the pinnacle of the time of the world, uh, Jesus came and gave his life for us. We're, we're getting there. But John chapter 17, Jesus is pretty much done speaking to his disciples. And so now he's going to begin to speak to his father on behalf of his disciples. I don't know if you have people in your life who pray for you. Uh, you should, I do. But if you're like me, you have, people, um, you have people that pray for you and then you have people that you want to be praying for you. Do you have that in your life? You have people like, yeah, I'll pray for you. Like, yeah, that's great, wonderful. And then you have people who are like, man, if that dude prays for me, it's gonna happen. So I want him praying. Do you have people like that in your life? Um, I do, Joel's one of those people. I'm like, if I need something done, I, my prayers, like I get like, I don't know, three out of 10 from the Lord. Joel gets like eight out of 10. So I'm like, Joel, will you pray for this? because it's not working for me, but I feel like you've got a better uh, average than I do, so would you pray for this? Between Joel and Daryl, I feel like we can get anything done we want to, uh, so I have them pray for me. Uh, but there's people like that, so John chapter 17, listen, if Daryl's good at that and Joel is gifted at that, Jesus might even be better, wouldn't he? Like if Jesus is gonna pray for us, I'm about that. I want Jesus praying for me. It feels like he probably has uh, better credentials to the Father than I do. It feels like he might know somebody in the organization who can get things done. And so Jesus uh, is going to pray for us here in John chapter 17. 26 verses of his prayer. And uh, you can read it in about three minutes or so. What we learn is that he's praying this in the presence of the 11 disciples who are remaining. And so they hear him. And it's, uh, it's just more stream of consciousness for Jesus. He lays out requests from the Lord. He's not worrying about uh, these and thou's and our Father who art in heaven. It's not that. This is just, hey, I've, I got this moment with you, Father, and I, I, I need to say some things. I need to ask some things of you. And so he does. So the Lord Jesus prays to God 
here in John uh, chapter 17. So let's just begin with verse one. I'm gonna read through a lot of it. We're gonna focus on verses 20 through 23 in the time that we have. There's some weight and significance of what happens here, but just, let's just pray this. We'll read this together as Jesus prays. Verse one, when Jesus had spoken these words, so he's done speaking to his disciples. He lifted up his eyes to heaven, which by the way, you don't have to close your eyes and bow your head to pray. Jesus lifts his eyes to heaven. And he says, Father, the hour has come. If you've been paying attention throughout the book of John, Jesus is quick to say, my hour has not yet come. And now Jesus knows the hour has come. And he says, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. This word glorify, we're gonna look at the word glory in a bit. The word glory means to honor or place significance on or to place weight on something. So he says, uh, give me weight, give me significance in this hour so that I might give that back to you. Verse two, since you have given him, Jesus speaking in third person like Kanye West, since you have given him, me, Jesus, authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Jesus says, you gave me the significance, the honor, I'm gonna give it back to you, but you've allowed me to give eternal life to the ones that you have given to me. There's some thick theology in there that we just don't have time for today, but I'd love to have a conversation with you about it. Verse three, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus, in this prayer, it's rich, again, rich in theology. Um, and the issue for me in studying was there's so many things to teach theologically. But in context, we have to teach what's happening. So Jesus now defines eternal life as knowing God and Jesus Christ. This is what eternal life is. So we've, man, we've done a bad job with eternal life, haven't we, in the church? Defining it in ways that just leave us wanting more, that don't give us any significance to the world. So a few things. Eternal life is not streets of gold and mansions in the sky. That's not eternal life. Eternal life is not reuniting with loved ones, as sweet as that would be. The thing that we long for is not to be with a family member who has passed on. The thing that our hearts long for is to be with the creator of the universe, God himself. This is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus whom you have sent. Also, eternal life is not someday in the future. Eternal life is in the here and now it's already begun for those of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord. It's already begun. So when we present the gospel to people, when we present eternal life to people, we aren't presenting streets of gold and mansions. We are presenting knowing the Father. This is the only thing that satisfies Verse four, I glorified you on earth. I gave you weight and significance on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Philippians chapter two tells us that Jesus gave up equality with God and humbled himself and became a man. When he came to earth that Christmas day a couple thousand years ago, when Jesus came to earth, he took on flesh and bone. He gave up the glory of God. He gave up the weight and significance of that deity. And so what he's asking for now here in verse five is, I, would you give me that same glory back? 
I'm coming back to you. Would you give me back what I gave up before? Verse six, I have manifested your name. I have revealed your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. This is important. Out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. I've been the conduit. Verse eight, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and come to know in truth that I came from you and believe that you sent me. I am praying for them. This word praying means I'm asking these things for them. I'm asking on their behalf. I'm not asking on behalf of the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am given significance in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they, the disciples, they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them, preserve them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. More on that later. Verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, Judas, which is, that's not a name any of us want, the son of destruction, son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Verse 13, but now I am coming to you. You know, sometimes when you pray and you, you pray something and then you need a second to gather your thoughts, so you say, and so Lord, now I pray. So God, now I'm coming to you. This is, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's literally coming to God. Now I'm leaving the earth and I'm coming to you. And these things I speak in the world that they, my disciples, may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So I'm having this conversation with you now, not later, that they might hear you and my joy might be fulfilled in them. Verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Remember earlier, Jesus said, I have taken those, I have kept those that you have given me out of the world. The disciples were once, we, as followers of Jesus, we were once in the world. God plucked us out of the world and gave us to Jesus. So now we are no longer in the world. We are not from out, we are not in the world anymore. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. In coming to Jesus, something happens for us, something changes for us, and that we are no longer under the authority and the rules and the systems of the world anymore. We now have a different identity. We have a different name. We were once in the world, and now we are no longer in the world. In the very same way that Jesus is not of the world. In the very same way that Jesus, a being altogether different, full of the Holy Spirit and power, is not of the world. The very same way you and me, Christian, we, like Jesus, are not of the world. Then why do we keep living like it? If we're altogether different, if we've been uh, taken out of the world and been given the name of God, been given the name of Jesus, we have a, a new identity, then why do we continue to live as if we are in the world, under the systems of the world, under the morality of the world, under the behavior and belief systems of the world? Jesus says, they're just like me and that they're not of this world. And sometimes you feel that, don't you? 
Don't you sometimes just feel like, ah, this is not, this doesn't feel right. This isn't home to me. So they hear him praying this, and they're like, yeah, that's right. Then verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. What? So they're hearing Jesus pray, and he's like, hey, God, um, they're not of the world. So you would think the next logical question of Jesus is, so then, would you take them out of the world? And Jesus says, listen, I'm not asking you to remove them from the world. Luke chapter 22, Jesus is praying for Peter. Remember this? And he, he says, I've prayed for you. The devil came to me wanting to sift you as wheat. And Jesus says, I've prayed for you. And Peter's like, well, what did you pray? You told him not to? And Jesus says, no, no, no. I just, I just told him um, that he can have his way with you, but that when you fail, you might return to your brothers and strengthen them. The prayer for us often is, God, take me out of this world, separate me from this world, make me um, safe from the world. And Jesus says, I'm not asking you to take them from the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Verse 16, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Verse 17, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. This word sanctify, some of your translations would say make holy, and that's great. It's to sanctify is to set apart. Uh, but it's not to set apart like uh, by means of isolation. The idea of sanctify is that you set something apart for a particular use coming. A lot of us in our closets or in our, in our um, drawers, in our dresser, wherever we have some clothes, you have some clothes that have been sanctified, don't you? You have certain clothes that are set apart for certain occasions. And you've tried to take them to Goodwill and your wife says, no, 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 you're gonna need that one day. You're like, I don't think I'll ever need this. You will. You will need this tuxedo. I will never need a tuxedo. Yes, you will. Some of us have clothes that we have sanctified. We've set them apart for some particular day that we've, right? You've set them apart. Not to isolate them, but because there's coming a day when you're going to need that. The idea here is not isolation. The idea is insulation. You go to the grocery store and, um, and you buy some eggs. I mean, some of you organic people go and get yours straight from the chicken. But for me, I go to the grocery store and we buy our eggs and they come in styrofoam containers in order to insulate them, right? Because should the eggs be just out by themselves rolling around the aisles of Publix, um, you're not gonna want those eggs. But because they've been insulated, they are set apart, they are preserved for a particular use that you have in mind for them coming up. When you bring them home, uh, you, you put them in a different place than you put the rest of your groceries, or at least you should. That and your bread should not go back with your two liters of Dr. Thunder. You can't do that. You need to put this somewhere else. We protect these things, we insulate them, not because we want them to be protected, but because we have a use for them in the future. When Jesus prays that his disciples would be sanctified, they'd be set apart for a particular use, this is not isolation. And as followers of Jesus, if we begin to view our sanctification as isolation, we've missed the point. If your whole idea is that I'm gonna join a church, I'm gonna do this with the schooling for my kids, I'm gonna do these things with my family because I wanna protect us so that we aren't tainted by the world, you're missing the point of sanctification. It's not to be isolated and to create our communes, it's that we, shoot, we would be insulated, set apart for a particular day and time. 
In the very same way, if you're going to the beach, you insulate something that needs to stay cold because you're gonna take it out into the heat. You don't need to insulate it when it's already inside something that's cold. You insulate it because you're taking it somewhere. In the very same way, Jesus says, God, sanctify them, insulate them because they're going to where it's hot and they need to stay cold. Sanctify them. Here's how he says to sanctify. Set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. Insulate them, protect them with truth. Not that they would be set on a shelf uh, to be sold at a yard sale in 40 years but set them apart, insulate them in truth. They're gonna need truth when they step into the world. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Again, insulate, not isolate. Insulate them because I'm sending them into the world, just as you sent me into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate, it's the same word sanctify, I set myself apart that they also might be set apart, sanctified in truth. Then verse 20, I do not ask for these only, these 11 men who are hearing me pray, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. If you're a follower of Jesus today, verse 20 is talking about you and about me. Who are those who would come to believe in Jesus because of the words of the disciples? Me. And you, and you. And you, and so when Jesus, in John chapter 17, raises his eyes to the Father, he has you on his mind. And not generally. I mean like you in particular. Your name, number of hairs on your head, or lack thereof, he, he knows. And so when Jesus prays in John chapter 17, this is what he, he is praying for you and he's praying for me. And listen, if, I, if there's anybody I want praying for me, it's Jesus, Right? You want Jesus praying for you? You want Jesus interceding for you? According to the book of Romans, that, that's what he does in eternity. He continues to intercede on our behalf. It's Jesus who's praying for you. I'm praying, God, not just for the 11 men that are present with me, but for all of those who would come to know me through their word. 21, here's what I'm praying. Here's what I'm asking. He says in verse 21, that they may all be one. They may all be united just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so they also may be in us. Notice Jesus uh, prays for sanctification by means of insulation, that we might be sent back into the world. And there's this moment where literally hell will break loose coming in the next few hours. And what we want, the helicopter parents that we are, what we want is for Jesus to remove us from it, save us from that. Don't let us be in the middle of that. Set us free from the fray of the world. And Jesus says, hey, so the one thing I ask of them, God, is that you would unite them, make them one. Make them one. Sanctify them. God, make them all one. Unite them. And then he gives us an explanation as to how, what that looks like. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. Speaking of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, separate and distinct and yet one person. This is what the church should be, that kind of unity. So that, this is Jesus, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The byproduct of our unity is that people actually believe in Jesus. He doesn't ask the Lord to give them a special uh, endowment of wisdom or of grace. Doesn't ask them, hey, give them intelligence and knowledge. Hey, give them a way to, to, to defend their faith. Uh-uh. Give them unity 
so that the world may believe that you have sent me. How does the world believe in Jesus? When the church is united. Why is the world having a hard time believing in Jesus? Because the church is not united. 22, the glory, we're gonna spend some time here. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. Let this verse set in for a second. The weight and significance and honor that God gave to Jesus, the savior of the world, in Philippians chapter two, when he, when he bestowed upon him this honor as the son of God, Jesus says, you can take that off of me now because I'm leaving and place that on the church. The idea here of glory is weight. Uh, it's, it's, it's significance, it's, it's a heaviness. Have you ever tried to sleep on an air mattress? And I say tried to sleep because you don't sleep on air mattresses, but have you ever tried to do that? You ever find yourself at three in the morning where um, you've rolled to the middle of the air mattress? Has that happened for you, right? Uh, if you're laying with your spouse on an air mattress because you're visiting family members for Christmas and it's the hap, hap, happiest time of the year and you're like, hey, we love you so much. Go sleep on this inflated piece of plastic. Great, okay. And so you sleep on that, uh, but then you wake up and then whoever of you is heavier creates a, a weight and a burden in the air mattress, so that the rest of us, the lighter ones, maybe you roll into the heavy ones. That happened for you. Am I just making this up completely? There's something about glory that's like that. It's weight, it's significant. Maybe it's a trampoline. And so, um, you, you know, the five and six-year-olds are having a great time on the trampoline, jumping around together. And then the 12 and 13-year-olds are like, I'm gonna go play. You're like, no, no, please don't. And so the heavier ones get out there and it creates something that everything falls to wherever the weight is. This is what, this is what glory is. Glory is weight and significance. So when Jesus is in the world, the world begins to tilt towards Jesus. Evidence of that is the fact that we are now in the year 2021 AD. Evidence of that is that when you were in history studying things that you'll never use again the rest of your life, when you were in that class in high school, there was BC. The world tilts towards the weight. It tilts towards the glory of Jesus. And Jesus says, God, I'm coming to you. That same significance that was on me that shifted the entire scope of the world, that shifted history, past, and future. When that happened, God, take that weight off of me and place it on the church. You don't think what we do matters? The very same weight on Jesus now rests on us. And it's a burden that we gladly bear for this reason, that they may be one even as we are one. Why does God place the weight of Jesus on the church? Because when the weight of Jesus is in the middle of the air mattress of the church, we all roll together to become one. Without that, we're all just pretending. It's all fake and it's superficial. But when the glory of God rests on the church, we all roll into one. God, give them the glory that you once gave on me that they may be one even as we are one. Verse 23, I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Perfectly one, finished one, a whole complete one. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved me and love them even as you loved me. We'll come back to that. 24, Father, I desire that they also, the church, 
past, present, and future, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. Because this is eternal life, to know God and to know Jesus. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these people know you, and they know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So many things I want to teach just on those last few verses, but let's just go back to verse 20. I do not ask for these only, these 11, but also those who will believe in me through your word. So Jesus prays on behalf of us, Sharon Church, May 16th, 2021. He's praying for us. He's praying for you by name. that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He asked that we would be one. Okay. But if Jesus is asking for it, isn't he going to get it? If Jesus is asking the Father for the unity of the church, isn't he going to get that from the Father? Because he and the Father had the same heart. Psalm 37, God gave Jesus the desires of his heart. Therefore, his, his prayers will be answered. When Jesus says, God, would you give them unity? God's not like, I don't know. I mean, maybe. Who's asking? I, I am your son? Uh, I mean, probably. If Jesus asks for it, the Father says yes to it, which means this. In this moment right now, we have unity. We already have it. We've already got it. Our church has it. Churches in Ola have it together. Churches in uh, Henry County, we have it together. Churches in Georgia, we have it together. Churches in the United States, we have it together. Churches in the world, we already have unity. Otherwise, what we're saying is God told Jesus no. Mm -mm. Jesus asks for us to be one, and the Father in the same heart said, absolutely. Which means that as we sit today, we already have unity. We've already got it. It's nothing to fight for, nothing to create, nothing to look for or to research. We have unity. We are one. Why? Because the weight of Jesus is upon us now. We have it. We've been given unity the church is the glory of God in the world today. Without the church, there's no glory of God. Let it sit on us today. This is, we've become so flippant and lackadaisical with this. The weight of glory that was on Jesus in his holiness and perfection and sonship and crucifixion and resurrection now rests on us. Quit playing around. The weight of glory is on us. So wherever the church is in a community, the community should look different. If the church takes residence in the air mattress of Ola, and there's a church of Jesus in the middle of the air matches. Ola should roll towards the glory of God. Does that make sense? But we've become so flippant and consumeristic 
and surface level about our faith as followers of Jesus, that there's no weight or significance in communities with churches that isn't already there in communities that don't have churches. The glory of God rests on us. The weight and heaviness of Jesus is on us. So if we're here, at the corner of Wilson, Snapping Shoals, and North Ola. This whole area should feel the impact of the glory of God. Ola Middle School, Ola High School, Ola Elementary School should feel the impact of the glory of God in this place among our people. We are not gathered together to be isolated from the world. We're gathered together that he might insulate us to send us back out, that the presence of the church in a community would make a difference in that community. And we've done a real disservice by saying things like, well, you know, everyone's replaceable. And the New England Patriots mantra of next man up. Okay, here's what that's done. The idea that um, we are not all unique and we're all not given the glory of God, we're not given the spirit, that we're all just, you know, little tiny pieces in, in a cog of God's mission on the face of the earth. What that's done for us has made us feel like, well, then it's fine if I don't do it because somebody else will step in to do it. Well, it's fine if our church does other things or doesn't really pursue the glory of God, doesn't really teach the Bible because, well, someone else will do that or this is our particular vein, this is, this is what our ministry is. Many of us as followers of Jesus, we have neglected the weight of God, the glory of God, because we felt like, I mean, anybody can do it. No, not anyone can do it. Not anyone can parent your children. Not anyone can work at your job. Not anyone can do what God's called you to do and where he's placed you to be. You're it. Why? Because there's weight on you. There's glory and significance in what we do. You aren't just punching a clock nine to five. You're the glory of God at the Honda dealership. You're the glory of God at the attorney's office. You are the glory of God at your elementary school. You are the glory of God in your lunchroom at the high school. You're it. And because of that, your school, our churches, our communities, your workplaces should roll towards the center of the glory of God. It's not for someone else to do. It's for us to do. It's for you to do and for me to do. We are not of this world. We are altogether set apart. And because we've begun living as though we are of the world, We've done nothing with the weight of God in our communities. Jesus says in verse 23, I, I am in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So if the prayer of Jesus is unity, then the attack of the enemy would, would naturally then be on unity, would it not? If the prayer of Jesus, God, Father, if you make them united, if you do this, people will know that you have sent me and they believe in me. And the enemy says, oh, if that's your tactic, I'm after you then. Isn't the enemy after the unity of, of the people of God, isn't he? Have you been paying attention at all? He's after us. And he's poking and prodding at unity. There's a few ways that he does it. First of all, is that the enemy discourages unity. He discourages it by saying, listen, it's not that important. It's not that important that you love each other. What's important is that you know the right theology. It's the work of the enemy. As I said, listen, it doesn't matter 
It doesn't matter that you love your neighbor. What matters is that you tell them they're going to hell. That's what matters. It doesn't matter if you uh, love your brother and sister in Christ. What matters is that you wear the right clothes. He's elevated the wrong things. That's how he is uh, discouraging us from unity. It's, it's not important. It's not a priority. You don't have to worry about it. Secondly, uh, the enemy discourages our unity through lack of accessibility. What he says is, listen, it's way too hard. Have you paid attention to the world? People just don't like each other anymore. They don't. So don't fight that. That's not a hill you want to die on, church. Don't die on the unity hill. Because look at the world. Isn't it just better that we just hate each other and be quiet about it? It's just too hard. You can't do it. Pursue other things instead. It's the way the enemy tries to discourage unity. Secondly, he distorts unity in that he's tricked us into believing that uniformity is unity. You know that you are united when you are just like each other. That's when you'll know. He's distorted unity into uniformity. So if we just get people to um, fall in line, if we can get them to wear the uniform and say the right things and sing the right things and look the same way, then, then, then you'll have unity. You know, the young men that show up on your doorstep after riding their bike and their dark slacks and their tie and their white shirt, they have uniformity. Uniformity is institutional. And the enemy has distorted it into us thinking, well, okay, if we just get there, then we'll have unity. Second way he distorts unity uh, is that he fights, we makes us fight for unity on the surface. Let's just all pretend and say the right things and sing the right songs and not really get into the, into the grit of it, not the grime of it. Not really love each other, but kind of love how each other looks, then, then that's fine. Love that each other is funny and, and, and don't deal with things that are hard. Just brush it under the rug, sweep it under the rug, and, and then, then you'll have unity. The only way to have unity is to not admit that you're sinners. Do that, do that. The enemy distorts unity by telling us that it requires more than just the gospel of Jesus to have unity. If anyone tries to add to our unity anything but the gospel of Jesus, it's a lie from the enemy. All we need is the gospel of Jesus. You know what unites us? That we were sinners in need of a savior and Jesus saved us. It doesn't matter what your flavor of sin is, doesn't matter what your color of skin is, doesn't matter. All we need is that. I don't need to know your story because I know my God. I don't need to know. Now, in relationship, would you tell me? Maybe. I don't need to know. I don't need to know all of your background. I don't need to know all the things that, that made you hurt and struggle and to get to the place that you are. To have unity, all I need to know is, do you know Jesus? Then we're good. Then we're good. I don't need to read books. I don't need to listen to podcasts. I just need Jesus to love you. Finally, the enemy distorts unity by making us believe that it's our job to create it. If he can shift us from the weight of the glory of God into, hey, listen, the problem is you gotta be more united. So go try to find ways that you're united. Do these things, work in this area, read these books. It's not our job to create it. Jesus asked for it. God gave it. We live it. In this place right now, there's already unity. It's already there. Are we living in it? Nehemiah chapter six, uh, prophet Nehemiah has come back to Jerusalem, has built the wall uh, to preserve this city. And he has some enemies trying to get him down from his work, trying to distract him from the work. 
It's Sanballat and Geshem in verse two, and they came to Nehemiah and saying, come and let us meet together at this place, in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm, and I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? The enemy will always give you other things to do. What we need to be concerned about is we have the weight of the glory of Jesus on us. That's the important work. Ephesians chapter four, Paul tells us that I therefore as a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We've been given the calling of the glory of Jesus is on us now. And Paul says, so walk like it, live like it. Live like the community of Ola. Live like your workplace. Live like your school, the salvation of your friends and your teachers and your family. Live like you are the only one there to point them to Jesus. Live like that. Live like the glory of God is so thick upon you that if you don't show up Tuesday morning, they may not see Jesus. Live like that. Church, live like if you don't gather Something significant is off kilter in your community that week. Live like that. Live worthy of the calling. Verse two, with all humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Verse three, eager to create. No, no, no. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. I don't know um, where you find yourself today. What's been heavy on my heart the past few days is the fact that the weight of the Savior Jesus now rests on the church. And I'm done playing games. I'm done playing church. I'm done pretending. I'm done being consumeristic. I'm done caring about what the, what the world thinks and how we should look and act and what Christians and their preferences. I, I don't care anymore. What I care about is the glory of God on our people. This is what shifts cultures. This is what changes communities. You wanna know why Marlon, Pastor Marlon, has such a, a significant ministry in Nicaragua? Because the glory of God rests on him and because he believes it and because he's acting like it, that's why. And the stories of salvation that are happening in Nicaragua, they can happen here too. We've just given up. We're like, oh, I mean, it's cool. It's cool that Jesus loves me and it's cool that you know, he died on the cross and the church is kind of important, but if, I have, if I've got travel ball, it's not that important to me. This matters. It's significant. Because a world that's dying, striving to find love and unity, is desperate for it. And when the weight of God's glory sits on the church, everything rolls to it. Bow your heads and close your eyes and we'll wrap up here and move forward. Have you sensed the significance of God and the calling to which he has called you today? You do matter and your role does matter. And no, everyone cannot do what you do. And collectively, no. The government Goodwill, Salvation Army, soup kitchens cannot do what the church does. And that's not a means of pride, that's a means of responsibility. The glory of Jesus rests on us now. 
be faithful to it. Let's wake up to the fact of it. We do matter. This does matter. The church shapes the culture in which it sits. And we have relegated that and delegated that far too long to politicians and influencers and athletes. It's up to us. To the glory of God, to the unity of his church, the communities are changed. If you're here this morning and um, there's a conviction in your heart about Jesus that you don't know him, so when Jesus says he's praying for his believers, not just for the world, the truth of that means he hadn't been praying for you until you come to know him. But he does intercede for those who follow him. And what you're feeling is a separation from the Father, the creator of the universe, and Jesus has prayed that you might be united with him. And we do that through humble expression of confession that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I can't save myself, my grandfather can't save me, only Jesus can save me. That we believe in his death and resurrection is enough to cover our sins that we might be united with God. That's what salvation is. And you can walk in that today. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your church. I thank you for this church, this local body of believers. I thank you that you have placed a weight on us that was once on Jesus, now rests on us. And that it's our job to be a significant force of the gospel in the community in which we find ourselves. That's collectively. Individually, God, that you have placed a mantle upon us that we must carry into our workplaces and into our schools. If we really believe that you are the miracle worker, if we really believe that you're the one who sets people free, God, help us to tell other people about you. Don't isolate us. Remind us that we are not isolated. We are insulated to be in the world, but not of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you'll stand, I'll give us a benediction. If you have any questions about our church or want to join a small group or um, join our church, or just have questions, we've got big plugged in, anything like that. If you're new here today, I invite you to the gathering place over here. Jeff would love to meet you. We have a gift for you. If you have any questions, um, I'll be down here for a bit. If you have any questions about the sermon, we're going to go now into small groups. If you're looking for a small group, just follow someone. And they'll lead you to one. Um, and you can find a small group there. Just wait, community of people who will love you and weep with you and rejoice with you as well as we study the word of God together. Thank you for being here this morning. As we go, church, may we be a people who are aware of the weight of the glory of God that's now placed upon our shoulders. And may we not be flippant about it. But may we go forth in this community that through the glory of God and weight of his glory that people would come to know him and communities and families will be changed for eternity. May grace and peace be with you. You are dismissed. We love you.